Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Daniel. The Old Testament book of Daniel and Daniel in chapter number 9. The book of Daniel and chapter number 9. Now, as we're starting this Millennial Kingdom series, what we're doing is we're starting by building the basics, trying to get a good understanding so we can get the correct interpretation as concerning prophecy. In order to do this, we have to begin with the book of Daniel. God has placed the book of Daniel to be his framework for prophecy. Just like if you were to put together a puzzle at home, most normal people will start with a frame and start with the outside edges because it's easier to identify those smooth edges. And then we know that everything that we have as puzzle pieces will fit inside of the frame, not outside in Never Everland. That this helps keep things in decently and in order and keeps it so we could have a clear understanding as we build brick by brick our understanding of prophecy as God has revealed it to us. We don't want to come up with our own plan. We want to find out what God has stated and have an understanding of what God has given to us. Now inside of the book of Daniel, there is a lot of prophecy dealing with prophetic things, dealing with the framework. We are not going to take our time and go through all of it. We took time to go through Daniel chapter 2 this morning that helped build some of the borders. It was once again echoed in Daniel chapter 7, which we did not go through, but we gave you a chart that kind of helps understand and give some discernment. Now remember that Daniel chapter 2, starting at verse 4, all the way to the end of Daniel chapter number 7, is written in Aramaic or Syriatic for the idea that all of the world, the Gentiles, could understand what is going on in prophecy. In Daniel chapter 8, the language once again speaks to, the he to Hebrew, and as it goes back to the Hebrew language, we understand that once again it is addressing the Hebrew people. And because it's addressing the Hebrew people, we understand that the prophecy is intended for them, for their understanding, for their building, and is concerning them as a people. Once again, in Daniel chapter 9, where we're going to be at now, it is still written in Hebrew with the idea that this is written to the Hebrew people, telling the Hebrew people what is going to happen concerning their people. Now, why are we stating this? Because we want to make sure that we get the right address to the right people so we can get the right discernment. That the things to the Gentiles dealing with the world empires is important for the Gentiles to know because there is such a thing called the time of the Gentiles. And we're going to speak more about that here in just a bit. But we also understand that the main thrust of prophecy given in the Bible is given to the Hebrew people to fulfill the promises that God gave to the Hebrew people. This is key to understand. Because if we try to understand 
prophecies given to the Hebrew people and we try to apply them to the Gentiles or we try to apply them to the church, then what's going to happen is that we are going to get the wrong interpretation of prophecy and we're going to mess the border up and make it skew and say something that it does not. So understanding with Bible interpretation, we teach this all the time, who is writing, who are they speaking to, and how did they understand what was being said. So we understand that in this, Daniel is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but God is giving him these things. And in Daniel chapter 9, the people of direct address are going to be concerning the Hebrew people, not the Gentile people, and not the church. These are promises given to the Hebrew people. This is going to be key because, and we'll see this later on, this is going to line up world events. And if we get it to the wrong people, then we're going to mess up what our understanding of future events are going to be. So with that, turn with me to the book of Daniel chapter number nine. The book of Daniel chapter nine, and if you don't mind, notice with me starting at verse number 20. The book of Daniel chapter 9 and in verse number 20 the Bible says this. And whiles I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. Yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, who had seen in a vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplication and the commandment come forth, I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision." Seventy years are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sin and to make a reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in eternal righteousness and to seal up the vision and the prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks and the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince shall come and destroy the city and sanctuary and the end thereof shall be with a flood unto the end of the war desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even unto the consummation that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. 
And if you're the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find right here in the book of Daniel and chapter number nine? Daniel and chapter number nine. And notice with me in verse number 24, where it speaks about 70 weeks, 70 weeks. And with this, we're going to understand the vision of the 70 weeks and continue with what we started this morning, dealing with the idea of the framework of prophecy, dealing with this vision of the 70 weeks, the vision of the 70 weeks. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you, I'm just praying that you would please open up this passage of scripture, that you would give us an understanding, that you would help us to have discernment, that we could be able to see these things as you have put into order, that we could discern for ourselves and see your plan, see your action as dealing with your people, the Hebrew people. Help us to put things in order concerning this idea of prophecy. We need your help, Lord, and we're thankful that you're able to give it to us. Lord, please provide your discernment and your understanding now. Fill me with your spirit and you get the glory and honor from this. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel is an old man. If you might remember the history of Daniel, then in about 605 BC, that the Babylonian people under Nebuchadnezzar had taken hostage several of the choice people from the city of Jerusalem. Daniel and his three friends were part of that crowd. Daniel was forced to go to their college to be able to learn about science, to learn about knowledge, math, to be able to learn about the gods and the deities and the religion of the Babylonian people. We saw this morning from Daniel chapter 2 that God had put Daniel into the place of favor with Nebuchadnezzar and that Nebuchadnezzar elevated him up because of what God did for Daniel. It was nothing that Daniel did himself, but it was God, and it happened to be concerning prophecy. Now, as a tidbit, Daniel was a teenager when he was taken from Jerusalem and placed into uh, what we would call Babylonian captivity. An interesting tidbit is that when he was a teenager before he had been taken, his personal teacher was Jeremiah the prophet. And Jeremiah had taught and worked with Daniel. And when Daniel went into Babylonian captivity, somewhere along the way, he was able to get the complete writings of Jeremiah the prophet. And because it was scripture, he would read his Bible every day. That was one of the things about Daniel. He would pray every day and he would be in the Bible every day. And because Daniel believed the Bible was to be true, he understood that God knew what he was doing and that God was exact in what he was doing. That God had went through the prophecies of Jeremiah and saw that they were to be in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. Well, Daniel was taken as a teenager and had endured all 70 of those years. And now as the 70 years are up, Daniel's checking his watch. He's looking at his calendar, checking his Bible and says, you know what? Those 70 years are up. This is wonderful. God is about ready to do something. God keeps his timing. God is never late. God is on time. God knows what he's doing. So God, 
because of your scriptures, I understand that you're fixing to do something with my people. I understand from your scriptures that you keep your word and that you are going to allow us to go home as the Hebrew people. And so he began to pray. He began to confess his sins and confess the sins of Israel. He began to say, Lord, you know that I'm a sinner. You know that our people have messed up. That's why we're in this in the first place. However, you keep your word. And you said 70 years and the 70 years are up. So God, as I'm coming to you, I'm asking that you would show us what is the next step. Show us what's going on. Explain and sh- uh, so I could get on board with what you are already doing in this world. And so Daniel, who is now 90s, is praying and still believing in God's word. Has read God's word, believed it. And because he believed it, believed that God was literal when he said 70 years. Believed that God knew what he was doing with the time frame. God says, I could trust Daniel And so notice as we pick it up in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel in chapter number 9. And let's pick it up (laughs) that we know, um, oh, for the context's sake. Notice with me in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Mede, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. Pause. So what happened is that the Persian Empire came and they defeated Babylon and now the Persians are in charge. And guess what? It was 70 years after all of this had happened. Now that the Persians in charge, we're going to read in the last chapter of Second Chronicles and the first chapter of Ezra that Cyrus the Great is going to give a decree for all the people, Jewish people, to go home and rebuild their temple. Notice with me in verse number two. And in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years wherefore the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And I set my face to the Lord to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes And I prayed unto the Lord my God. And so Daniel's going to pray from uh, chapter 9, verse 4, all the way to chapter uh, 9, verse 19. So he's going to pray from verse 4 through 19. And he's praying according to what the Bible said. And he's now saying, Lord, now we've confessed our sins. We know that you're fixing to do something. Can you tell me what to do? Tell me what the next step is. Show me what you have for me. Now back to verse number 20. And whilst I was speaking, so in the middle of his prayer, Daniel's praying. As I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, by the way, that is Jerusalem. So he's praying for Jerusalem that God would restore the city. At this time, Jerusalem's a wasteland. And he said, I'm praying that God would restore my city, Jerusalem, just like he promised he would. Notice what happens in verse uh, number uh, 21. And yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I've seen in a vision of the beginning. So Gabriel is going to be important. It says a man here because he shows up man form, but this is the archangel Gabriel. This is the angel Gabriel who comes. And because he had been praying before, Gabriel says, all right, fine, I'm here to tell you some, uh, some things that are going on. So he gave him some of the vision. Daniel was able to say, hey, what did I just see here? And Gabriel said, let me explain these things to you. Great. 
So now as he's praying, he's an older man now. As he's praying, Gabriel taps him on the shoulder. Daniel, we hear you're praying right now. God, let me just tell you how God's going to answer your prayer. Can you imagine that? You're praying. I mean, there's nothing like, you know, someone tapping you on the shoulder, but you turn around and it's an angel that you had seen years before coming to tell you once again what God's planning on doing. What a walk with God that Daniel had. He had an intense walk with God so much that God would send an angel by to say, hey, let me tell you what's going to happen. That's an amazing walk with God. By the way, if you want to walk with God with that, it might be a good thing to study the prayers of Daniel. What made his walk so powerful? That's a different study in its own, but maybe prompt you for your own thing to study it. What was it that made his prayer life amazing? Turn with me as we look, as Gabriel now talks to him in verse 21. Yea, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I've seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the even oblation. Meaning that this is his time where he's praying in the evening, setting aside his own walk with God. Uh, And so Gabriel taps him, hey, let me tell you what's going on. Verse 22. And he, Gabriel, informed me, Daniel, and talked with me and said, oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. So Daniel, you want to know what was happening next? That's why I'm here. I'm here to give you instruction. I'm here to help you to write down, get some discernment to see what God is going to do now. Verse 23, and at the beginning of thy supplications and the commandment come forth, I am come to show thee for thou art greatly beloved. Now, isn't that powerful? An angel comes and says, Daniel, I want to tell you that God loves you so much. God talks about you all the time. You are greatly beloved. He says, because you're greatly beloved, therefore understand the matter and consider the vision. So what happens is that he comes to give him what is going to happen. He comes to explain these things that are going to occur and that God had on his calendar some things that were going to happen. Verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people. Now, notice this idea of 70 weeks. This is going to be a poetical term that is actually used a couple different places. It carries the idea of weeks of years. Weeks of years. It's a way of keeping times. We don't quite do this today, but back then it was a way of keeping time. If I had a week of years, how many days are in a week? Seven. So if I had a week of years, it's going to be one week is going to be equal 70 years or seven years, seven years, seven. One week is seven days. Translate that to a year. So one week equals 70 years. It's just a different way of keeping time. It's able to keep it down into a manageable number. So 70 weeks of years. So here, if you were to take 70 weeks times seven, you're going to have 490 years worth of prophecy that is going to be unloaded under Daniel. 
So Daniel, let me give you some prophecy of 70 weeks. 70 weeks full of years. I'm going to give you this time frame and let you know some of the things that I have planned in the future. Let me give you this schedule. Let me tell you the things that are going to occur. Let me explain these things. And he's going to use it as a time frame of weeks. Here's a week here, here's a week here, and here's a week here. Now this timeline is going to serve as the backbone of all future prophecy. Now once again, as we had stated this, this morning, that when Daniel received this, all of it was in his future. Where we stand at this time today in both Daniel chapter number 9, Daniel chapter 8, Daniel chapter 7, and Daniel chapter 2, we're standing at the place where some of it has already been fulfilled and it is our history and we have some that are yet still ahead. What that does for us is that we're able to go look back is it confirmed? Did this happen? And did it happen in the time that God said it was going to happen? And if God lined it all up and it all happened the time that he said so in the way that he said so, then we could also have confidence of moving things in the future that those things will also happen the way that God said and the time that God said. Does that make sense? that we have the benefit of history and seeing that this is all clear. Now, may I also remind you that for the idea of Bible prophecy, some people have in mind somewhere, some way, that Bible prophecy is vague prophecies that could be fit in, in any direction you want. That this could be the fulfillment, this could be the fulfillment. May I say that is completely wrong? When God gives prophecies, it is very very specific. And exactly, we're going to see this very specific prophecies given in Daniel chapter 9. So if you don't mind, let's look and understand this is giving the backbone of history. God is telling Daniel, I've got 70 weeks worth of years that I'm going to accomplish some things. Let me go ahead and explain my timeline of history so you could be prepared for you and the Hebrew people of what's going to happen and so you could be prepared for the future events as well. As we continue on, notice as we deal with these 70 weeks of years, we see that there's also a purpose for this. As we're still just introducing this, verse 24, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. Now, once again, notice the word thy. When he's talking about thy people, this is dealing with the Hebrew people. This is not dealing with the Gentiles, and it is not dealing with the church. It is dealing with the Hebrew people. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. The holy city of the Hebrew people is Jerusalem. So this prophecy is going to tie into the Hebrew people and to the city of Jerusalem. Getting the correct interpretation. Notice again, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Now notice this, to finish the transgression. And to make an end of sins. Notice there's going to be five things that are going to be accomplished in this period. In the 70 weeks of um, prophecy, when we get to the very end, there are going to be five things that are going to be accomplished. The first thing is to make an end of sins. To make an end of sins. What does this mean? That means the sins of the people Israel are going to be taken care of and forgiven. 
We know that this is going to be accomplished in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was God robed in flesh, who came on this earth and lived the same life that you and I lived. He went through the same temptations, the same troubles, and the same heartbreaks. Then Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sins, to pay for mine, and he paid for the Hebrew people's sins. Jesus died and was buried, was put in a borrowed tomb. On the third day, he rose again to show that God was satisfied with the payment that was made and to show that Jesus Christ was indeed God. And so in this prophecy here, God is saying in the 70 weeks, we have to be accomplished the end of sins, having the sins and the payment of sins being paid for and taken care of. That is the first agenda that God has within these 70 weeks is to make an end of sin. Notice in verse 25 again, Uh, 24 again. So it says to make an end of sin and to make reconciliation for iniquity. To make reconciliation for iniquity. Of course, this is a good Bible word that means to bring two parties back together in agreement. We know that sin has put a wedge between us and God and between the Hebrew people and God. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for us and he died as us. God was satisfied with the payment. And then as the people individually accept that payment, now there can be a reconciliation between us and God. That sin is no longer a barrier between us and the relationship we can have with God himself. There is a reconciliation now for this iniquity. Oh, what encouragement it is that God says, in this I want to accomplish to get rid of sins. The payment of sins is going to be taken care of in the prophecy. In this prophecy, we're now going to have reconciliation for iniquity, meaning that you can now have fellowship with God. I have this accomplished in my schedule, Daniel. This is an important prophecy. I'm trying to say, I've got a lot of things packed into this. God says there's a third thing here. He says to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness. He says, my goal and my thing in this prophecy is to bring us to the place where we're going to have a perfect government ruling on this earth. Everlasting righteousness. I'm going to take care of sins. I'm going to pay for it. And then I'm going to give a place where you can live righteously and have a righteous government. And I'm going to take care of this everlasting righteousness is going to be taken care of in this prophecy. We know there's a fourth thing here. It says to make an end of sins and to make a reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness. Notice something else and to seal up the vision and the prophecy. To seal up the vision and the prophecy. This carries the idea, as we've been saying before, to put up the borders. I'm putting the borders of prophecy together. I'm putting the bounds. And now that you know where the borders are, everything else that's given in prophecy is going to fit in the middle there. I'm giving you the borders. I'm giving you the framework. I'm giving you an understanding of how all of this will fit together. To give, seal up the vision and the prophecy. Notice there's one last purpose of this. It says to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint 
the most holy. To anoint the most holy. That when this is all said and done, that the king of the universe is going to be anointed and he is going to rule and he is going to reign. We know this as King Jesus has given more information later on, but he says this prophecy is going to give us the framework to accomplish all five of these goals. So that sounds like a pretty important framework that Daniel is about ready to receive. What is going to happen in these 70 years? Remember 70 years, 70 weeks full of years. So it's going to be 490 years 70 weeks as the poetical way of expressing this time frame here. These 490 years or 70 weeks has to deal with God working with the Hebrew people to get these five things accomplished. If you don't mind, I did give you a chart and this will kind of help with understanding as we break this apart. Let's look at these high watermarks. Let's look at these beats of this prophecy, this framework here. And we're going to see several of these beats get accomplished. Notice in verse 25, we see that there's a decree to rebuild Jerusalem. There's a decree to rebuild Jerusalem. Verse 25, know therefore and understand from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince shall be seven weeks. So what's going to happen is that we here have a time frame that in the year 445, Nehemiah is going to uh, be sent back, put in charge to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Now, Ezra or Zerubbabel has already been sent before this time to go rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. But even though the temple was rebuilt, there was no walls of protection. The city was still vulnerable to attack. It was still vulnerable uh, and had to be under the submission of the surrounding areas. So to have the walls rebuilt, especially in the ancient world, carries the idea that the city is established to rule itself and to once again have its autonomy. Uh, We understand it's still going to be under the Persian system, but this is going to be a high watermark. And by the way, we say in Nehemiah, Daniel didn't know who Nehemiah was at this time, maybe kind of met him in passing. But what's going to happen is that Nehemiah is going to go back at 445. We're giving specific dates because we have the history of it. And we're going to watch as these beats go, just like God said. So 445 BC, we have this first beat, the decree to rebuild Jerusalem. Nehemiah is sent by the king of Persia to go and rebuild the wall, to reestablish and rebuild Jerusalem. Notice in verse 25 again, we have another beat. Know therefore and understand that going forth from the commandment to restore, to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. So what we're understanding here is that the street will be built again and the wall even in troublous times. So what's going to happen in in this Uh, seven weeks, remember weeks of years. So seven weeks is going to be equal to 49 years that the city of Jerusalem is going to be reestablished itself. The walls are going to be built. Everything else is going to be set together. This is going to be accomplished in 396 BC. By the way, this would be at the time of Malachi, the very last Old Testament writer. So 
it coincides that Malachi finishes his writing and this beat has been finished as Jerusalem has been reestablished once again. Now it gives us so seven years between the commandment to rebuild to the time that it's all refinished and, and functioning again, 49 years. Then we have that seven weeks then we have three score and two weeks. Remember a score is 20. So three score is three times 20. That's 60. And we have two. So 62 weeks from this time. The prince, Messiah the prince. Notice with me in verse 26. And after three score and two weeks shall the Messiah be cut off but not for himself. And the people of the prince shall come and destroy the city. So what happens in verse number 26 is that the Messiah, the prince, that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come down on this earth. He is going to robe himself in flesh and dwell among us. He is going to live for 33 years and then he's going to be cut off. He's going to be killed on the cross of Calvary. And it's at this time that the prophecy hits its other beat. Now, an interesting thing is that you had seven weeks before and then another time frame of 62 weeks. Seven plus 62 is class? 69 weeks. Math is going to be very critical on this one. 69 weeks. How many weeks was supposed to be fulfilled? 70. So we're missing a week. So what happens we have a time frame where the clock starts and it runs for a matter of 69 weeks full of years. And then when the Messiah is cut off, Jesus Christ dies on the cross. What happens is the stopwatch stops. It pauses. It's held on hold. And during this time, other events are going to unfold. Notice with me what happens. And after three score and two weeks shall the Messiah be cut off. All right, stopwatch pauses. But not for himself, meaning he's going to not die for himself, but he's going to do it for the people. Remember, that was part of the thing. He's going to die for the cross, for the sins of the people to have uh, end of sins, reconciliation for iniquity. Notice verse 26 again. After three score and two weeks shall the Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince shall come and destroy the city. So at Daniel's time, Jerusalem is not rebuilt. And according to this prophecy times, what's going to happen? They're going to have an order to rebuild the city. They're going to rebuild the city. The Messiah is going to be cut off. And after the Messiah is cut off, we have a pause. The city that was rebuilt is going to be destroyed. And indeed it was. In 70 AD, the Titus, who's a future Roman emperor, is going to level the city of Jerusalem, destroy the temple, and the temple is going to be non-existent up to our day. We don't have a temple in Jerusalem. The Jewish people are still missing that. What we're seeing here is that once Jesus Christ dies on the cross, there's going to be events going on, but the stopwatch is paused. We're going to call this time frame, starting at Jesus Christ on the cross, the Bible is going to refer to it in the Old Testament as the times of the Gentiles. We, in the New Testament days, often call this the church age. This is a parenthetical period. Remember, what's a parenthesis? It is a break of a thought. In this case, the parenthetical uh, period is going to be a break in a timeline that God had started. God had 70 weeks worth of years of time 
that he had put in this. 70 weeks worth of prophecies. 69 of them of those weeks had been fulfilled. In Daniel's day, it was in his future. In our time, it's past. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, the stopwatch paused and there's still one week of years still remaining. And the stopwatch is on pause. During this pause, God is not working with the Hebrew people. Remember, this 70 works of year, uh, 70 weeks of years is for the Hebrew people. This is going to be key. Don't fall asleep on me. Don't lose me. This is the important part of this message. During this time, God is no longer working primarily with the Hebrew people, the time that we're in now. God is dealing with the Hebrew people through the institution called the local New Testament church. He has not forgotten about the Hebrew people, but he has them on pause. He is now working with the Gentiles to bring the Gentile people to himself so they could be a part of his local church that is used to organize the efforts to go reach more Gentile people. We're in a parenthetical time frame right here when God is dealing with us, but he is going to start the stopwatch again and we'll talk about it where he once again will deal with the Hebrew people. We are in this pause. And by the way, we've been in this pause for about 2,000 years. This time of the Gentiles. Notice again verse 26. And after three score and two weeks shall the Messiah be cut off. Stopwatch paused. But not for himself, but the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. 70 AD, the Romans did that. And the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. And of course, we know for the Hebrew people, they're going to be plagued over and over and over and over throughout the last next 2,000 years. But God hasn't finished dealing with the Hebrew people. Now, as we turn to verse number 27, we're going to see when does the stopwatch begin again? Notice in verse 27, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. So remember, we had one week remaining. 69 had been taken, uh, taken, have already been taken care of. One more week remaining. And we're wondering, when do we start the stopwatch? When do we start it again? When do we start this countdown? When does God start working once again with the Hebrew people? Now, again, this is the framework of prophecy. We understand the next event for, on God's calendar is something called the rapture. And in the rapture, God is going to call away all of those people who have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. That the dead in Christ shall rise first, then us that are alive and remain shall meet them together in the air. And we're looking forward to this. Even so, Lord, come quickly. We're looking for Jesus Christ coming back. What we're discovering is that the church age has a definite beginning with Jesus Christ and his disciples and the church age has a definite ending, which will be the rapture. So the church age is a clearly defined parenthetical phrase. We know when it begins and we know when it ends. We don't have to guess. Am I still in the church age? Have we switched over yet? It is very clear defined borders because God likes to clearly define what he means and let us know. 
after the rapture, the next event that starts the time clock is this covenant. What's going to happen, and the Bible describes it, it says it in Daniel chapter 8, gives some of this information. We could see it in other places. That after the rapture, the world's going to be in chaos. There's going to be a man who arises from Europe who is going to come to seem to save the world and be able to be, give peace to the world. And this man, which we now identify as the Antichrist, is going to make a covenant agreement with the Hebrew people. The Hebrew people want their temple to be rebuilt. That's their heart and their desire. Well, the Antichrist is going to make an agreement with the Hebrew people. And as soon as this covenant is agreed upon, the watch begins. One more week remaining. Remember, it's a week of years. How long is the tribulation, by the way, class? Seven years. One week left. 69 years, uh, weeks of prophecies have already been fulfilled one more left to go. And that stopwatch is just ready as soon as the rapture happens and the Antichrist makes the agreement, time starts. Seven years are remaining. During that seven years, God is once again dealing with the Hebrew people for the purpose of bringing those people back to himself. Back to himself. Now we're kind of done with the chart. The rest is kind of preaching. But he's bringing them back to himself. This is important because if we are start applying promises to the Hebrew people, we're going to get things out of whack. If we start applying this last week to the church age, we're going to have in our minds people who are Gentiles primarily being dealt with during that tribulation period. It's not about us. It's about the Hebrew people. That's what this prophecy is about for the Hebrew people. And God is going to be working in this time. This period of seven years in the New Testament, we often call it the tribulation. And many places in the Old Testament, the New Testament, it is called the time of Jacob's troubles. It is in a very interesting time where the pressures on to the Hebrew people. Notice again in verse 27. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. That's our last week. And in the midst of the week, by the way, in the middle of seven years is three and a half years. And the three and a half year mark, what's going to happen is that the temple is going to be rebuilt. The Antichrist who had made this agreement is going to sit into that newly built temple and he's going to stand on the throne and say, listen, I'm your God, worship me. And the Hebrew people are going to realize that this was not their hope after all. That this Antichrist was not the true Christ. He was a fake replacement Christ. And they are going to turn to the Messiah as their promised one in droves. And the Antichrist is not going to be happy about it. Notice again verse 27. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of the abominations he shall make it desolate. This phrase of abominations and desolate are going to be found throughout the Bible. New Testament, Old Testament. Sometimes it's put together as the abominations of desolations. This is the event in the middle of this week, the three and a half year mark where the Antichrist is going to step 
and to the throne of the temple and declare himself to be God, violating this temple, polluting it, and making the Hebrew people realize that it was Jesus, the Messiah. This idea of the abomination of desolation is going to be mentioned in the book of Daniel. It is going to be mentioned in the Minor Prophets. It's going to be mentioned in the Gospel records. It's going to be mentioned inside of the book of Revelation. This idea of abomination of desolations. This is an important event. It is a highlight event inside of the tribulation. But again, this is part of God's thing. This is part of God's calendar. God said this is what was going to happen. And as the calendar resumes, God is going to bring the people back to himself. Verse 27, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease and the overspreading of the abominations. He shall make it desolate even until the consummation or the end, the completion of it. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. What's going to happen is that Jesus Christ is going to come back and he's going to destroy all those people who had rejected him and had joined the forces of the Antichrist. Then Jesus Christ is going to come and um, start a new period called the millennial kingdom. And there he is going to fulfill the promises he had made to the Hebrew people. So we have 70 weeks that have to be fulfilled from the time of Daniel that tell the time of the millennial kingdom starts. 69 of those weeks have been fulfilled, but the stopwatch is paused. During this time of this pause, God is dealing with us Gentiles to bring us to himself. Then there's going to be a period called the rapture where the church age will end. Then the Antichrist will make an agreement with the Jewish people and the stopwatch begins again. Seven years will be fulfilled, one week left. At the end of the week, Jesus Christ is coming back to rule and to reign on this earth and fulfill the rest of the promises to the millennial kingdom. Now, this is a very detailed event for the Hebrew people. This is part of that framework of prophecy that is very specific. None of this is vague. These are very specific things. Now, for our encouragement, most of this has been fulfilled. It is now our history, and we could see it was fulfilled just like God said. And it was fulfilled just like when God said. So now we could trust that the future events are going to happen just like God said it was going to happen. The next event on God's calendar, as we have the framework of prophecy, we could place the other pieces inside of it, is going to be called the rapture, where God is going to call us away home. Stopwatch begins. God is going to finish off that framework of prophecy. And when he is done, he is going to start the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this helps us because we want to know specifically what God has for us. It helps us to understand prophecy and make sure that we're talking about the right people and applying the right promises to the correct people. Now, all of this is to say, can you trust God? What started this in the first place? Daniel was praying. He had been reading his Bible. He saw God's promises and he believed God's promises. He began to pray what he read in the Bible. God, you said in your Bible, this is what you're going to do. So now I'm asking you to guide me and direct me. Show me the next step and show me the next step. 
and show me the next step. It just so happened that God decided to just drop the whole enchilada on Daniel, have the angel, hey, let me just tell you what's going to happen. He didn't tell him the next step. He told him what's going to happen in the next 490 years worth of prophecy stuff. May I say that he gets a, a view of prophecy that's going to span thousands of years? That's probably a little bit more than the next step. However, we find the same principle for us. You can't stand on promises if you don't know what they are. But there are so many promises in the Bible. This is why you need to be on your Bible all the time. The greatest thing you could do on a daily basis is to be in the Bible for yourself. But may I say, Bible reading is not where you stop. Bible reading is where you start. That as you read your Bible, it should bring you to the place of prayer. Lord, I saw something in your Bible And now I'm asking and praying over this. I need wisdom. I need your direction. I need you to show me what the next step is. And as you start looking for the next step, thy word is a lamp to my feet and a guide to, (laughs) a light lamp to my path, lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And he can show you what the next step is and show you what the next step is. He can guide you. And God knows what steps you need to take. He knows the future. He sees it all at once. And he can guide you what you're supposed to do next. Maybe you're sitting at the place where you say, I just don't know where to go. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know where I'm, wh- wh- where I'm at. I just need help. The wonderful thing is that you need to read your Bible for yourself and use that to prompt you to pray. Pray through the scripture. Have an understanding of scripture. And God can show you what the next step is. And then the next step. There's many of you who have decisions that need to be made that need to know what your path is. What is it that God would have you to do? May I encourage you that the one, you can go to God for yourself and you can go to him and say, God, what is my next step? And have the confidence that God knows what he's doing. Now, don't go to God and say, what's the next step? And then when he tells you, you say, nope, nope, no, that's not for me. You can trust God. He knows what he's doing. Allow him to guide you. Allow him to direct you. By the way, how does God direct us? Through biblical authority. God sent uh, someone with authority, an angel, to go tap on Daniel and say, let me tell you what's next. God gives us a pastor to help direct authority. He gives us other authorities in our life to help direct our path. God wants you to know. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.